so as I, I soothe him and calm down, he looks me in the eye and he tells me, I don't want to fall again. And it just like captured my heart. And as he said that, something resonated within me. How many times I have felt that way? How many like falling? Nobody likes falling. It hurts. It's embarrassing. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable and it's a painful experience. And how many times we have fallen after coming out of a rally, after leaving camp, after leaving convention, ready to change the world, ready to change our youth group, ready to change our high school, our middle school, only to fall again. I do believe I'm looking at a group of people here that your prayer deep down inside of you. You know, sometimes when you mess up, people just kind of think that you like that particular sin more than God. And then, you know, you, you just want to be controversial. But deep down inside of you, you really would like to break free from the same exact sin that you keep falling to over and over again. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 26, 11, as a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool to his folly. And that we don't, we don't want to be looked at as like that, you know, because dogs are pretty cute. But when they start, and then, you know, that's pretty gross, right? But when they go back to it, that's a whole nother level of gross. And the Bible says you and I are no different than that when we return to that. That which was not supposed to be in us that was coming out as we go back to it. There's a reason why we lay it at the altar not to ever go back to it after we've laid it on the altar. Somebody say amen. But here, here's the deal. The devil would like to convince every single one of us because I believe it's a common struggle, not just in young people, it's in people in general, but in your teen years, your preteen years, your teen years, your early 20s, you keep struggling with the same exact sin over and over and over again. I just am not persuaded that's the will of God, that when you turn 30, when you turn 40, when you turn 50, you're still struggling with the same thing as you were when you were 15. The grace of God doesn't keep you in sin. It takes you out of sin. That's got, and, and so the Bible, and we talked yesterday about the call of God. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 10 says, Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence. Someone say diligent. You got to be diligent. You have to make a concerted effort to make your calling and your election sure or absolute. You know, we've heard this statement so many times. Well, if it's the will of God, it's going to happen. That sounds good, but it's not necessarily true. You know, one example would be uh, uh, Samuel. You know, he's telling the children of Israel, hey, no, 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 we can't do this king thing. This is, that's not right. And they kept pushing it and pushing it. And then Samuel talks to God. And you know what God says? Give them the king. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Let them have their king. Was that the will of God? No. Now, God can work in spite of situations, but that was not the ultimate will of God. Or, or, or how about when the, the Pharisees confront Jesus and they say, hey, Jesus, is it all right if we get a divorce? He says, no way, Jose. You ain't supposed to be getting no divorce. And they're like, ah, but, but Moses, then why did he give us a, a writing, a letter for divorcement? He says, that's because of stubbornness of your own heart. See, sometimes our will gets in the way. 
So just because it's the will of God and God called you yesterday, don't just assume it's just all going to lay out for you and come to pass because God called you to do something. You got to be diligent. You got to make the concerted effort to make your calling, your election, sure, certain, absolute. Because 2 Peter 3, 9 says God's not willing that any should perish. But are people perishing? Yes, they are. So just because something is the will of God does not mean it's going to happen. It's God places you with a free will to choose to follow his will or to walk away from his will. Amen? Now here we go. Going back to 2 Peter 1.10. You, wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and your election sure. And he says, for if you do these things, ye shall never You'll never fall. How many knew that's in your Bible? There, the inspired word of God says there's some things, if you would simply do them, you will not fall. And so when, when people tell me, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm human, you know, I, I'm, I'm a fallen creature, you know, I'm just going to sin, I, I can't live a perfect life. I understand the sentiment or the, some of the, 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 the reasoning behind that because nobody is perfect. But that does not give us leeway or allowance to keep falling into the same sin over and over again the rest of our lives. Turn to your neighbor tell him, I don't want to fall again. Turn to your other neighbor, make sure they're awake. Tell them, I don't want to fall again. Now, I'm going to speak to you for the next few moments, and I, I might catch you off guard. You ever been caught off guard before? You know, one time I was talking to a, a, a young man, and, and uh, he, he comes up to me. He says, hey, pastor. I'm like, yeah. He goes, what, what do you call a cow with three legs? I said, I don't know. He says, lean beef. He goes, what do you call a cow uh, um, with no legs. I'm like, I don't know. He says, ground beef. I'm like, ha, 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 And then he goes, what do you call a cow with two legs? I'm like, I don't know. He says, your mom. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> Caught me off guard. So I'm going to catch you off guard maybe just a little bit tonight because you're, you're expecting Saturday night. We, we're supposed to, you know, jump off the balcony and we're supposed to uh, uh, jump from the, the hoops and the pulley system. So this may be a little different than what you think a Saturday night rally message and sermon and theme is going to be. But I do believe God has laid something heavy on my heart to speak to you. And so I'm not here to, to conjure up a hype. I'm not here to get some, you know, mad foaming at the mouth reaction. I believe the right word. I, I pray this all the time. The Bible says in Isaiah 54, Lord, give me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Or Proverbs 15, 23, a man hath joy by the answer of his mouth in a word spoken in due season. How good is it? Or simply put the right word at the right time can make all the world a difference. And as excited as we got last night, and as much as God spoke to a number of you last night it's going to be more than emotion that's going to take us to fulfill the call of god we got to get something settled in our heart tonight for the course that is set before us and we got to apply some practical things so i want to talk to you about this how to never fall someone say how to never fall because that is in your bible by the way if you do these things ye shall never fall and they were singing that song, I'm on the battlefield. The wor truer words could not be sung tonight. 
When you got into your youth group, when you got into your church, you did not step onto a cruise ship. You stepped onto a battleship. That, that, that is where we're at in, in Timothy 1.17, that we are warring a good warfare. 6.12 says we are to fight the good fight of faith. We are in a battle. 2 Corinthians 10.3, you know, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the war, weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We know Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You know, I'm a youth pastor was talking to our church not too long ago, and, and, and he, he posed this about that, that portion of Scripture. I found it profound in my opinion. Maybe you think it's lame. But he, he said, it's never been the will of God for us to wrestle against flesh and blood. But that's what we fight over and over and over. We've been called to crucify our flesh, Galatians 2.20. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But why do we find ourselves continually fighting with our flesh? God wants us to crucify our flesh so we can engage in spiritual warfare. So we can begin to wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this darkness, against spiritual wickedness in high places. But we can't ever advance to that battlefield because we're still fighting our flesh. It's not the will of God for you to live till you're 50. And now you're 15 fighting the same fleshly lustly desire you keep succumbing to and giving into someone say how to never fall tell your neighbor i don't want to fall again and so i'm going to talk to you here for the next couple moments about some things to help you to never fall how to never fall are we all okay we tired we ready to go all good in the hood as it should no all right that's all right Paul said this in Galatians 5, 16, 7. This I say, then walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the will of God for you and I to live in the spirit, to walk in the spirit, so we do not fall into the lust of the flesh. We got to be diligent here tonight, and I'm going to present some things to you that I believe are going to help us. Because I believe, as Jude 1, 24 says, now unto him who is able to keep you from... You know that's in your Bible? If God can create the heavens and the earth from nothing, do you think if he can raise a dead man back to life, do you think it's within the realm of possibility to keep you from falling? God can keep you from falling into the same sin. And when we, one of the roadblocks to the altar is, you know, we want to repent. We want to be made right with God, but we're convinced in our head, I'm just going to fall again and God is aggravated and frustrated that I keep coming to this altar and I'm agitating him and I'm, 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 I'm making him upset with me but the Bible says he can present you faultless before the presence of his glory and check this out this last phrase he does it with exceeding joy God finds no greater joy than taking you back as a prodigal child and saying, I can still work with you. I still can get you into heaven. I still can present you faultless before the presence of my glory. And I'm more than happy to do it. I'm more than glad to do it. Can we lift our hands to Jesus and thank him for his grace? Come on, thank him for being patient with you. Thank him for being so long-suffering. Hallelujah.
Hallelujah. I'm a, I'll, I'll, I'll get to preaching here in a moment. We okay? I, mean, I should look at the time. Is 7.36 the right time? Is that, I, I don't know if my clock's on or not. All right, 7.36. So let's say I start at 7.20. I'll try to wrap up. I don't know by when, but sometime. <clears throat> but hear me. I, um, when I moved to South Dakota, it's a whole other world than, than the Chicagoland area. You know, the, the tallest building in there is a silo. So you know you're in the middle of nowhere when the, the tallest building is a, a grain bin. But that's just kind of where we hang out in the hood. <clears throat> and it's a hard knock life, spinning rims on our John Deere. But some of you all know that because you're in a rural area as well. Now we have, we, have, we have snow, and I know you all have snow here. It's a little different in South Dakota in the sense of not maybe the magnitude, the, the amount of snow, but the snow just doesn't go away, and it doesn't melt. It doesn't solidify because it's negative 30 degrees. It's almost like sand. And the wind always blows where it listeth, and you, you sure do hear the sound thereof. There's no trees out there. And so there, it may not be snowing that day, but we're in a blizzard because the 30, the 50-mile-an-hour gale force winds are moving that around. And, and you, you have a clear uh, parking um, garage area or whatever, but you step outside and you got three feet of snow there. And so it only took one winter for me to say, I don't want to shovel again. And so we, we was poor. We had no money. Couldn't afford the last O and R and pour. And so what we did, we would eat our cereal forks just to save milk kind of pour, you know. And um, so we scraped and saved, and I wanted to get a snowblower. So I, I went to a pawn shop to get my first snowblower for the winter coming here. And so I purchased it. And I got it home and looking in, in the weather, the forecast, making sure, you know, I'm all good to go. And so I put some oil in it. I put, I put uh, the gasoline in it. And so I go to fire up that bad boy, and I, I grab that little pulley handle, and I yank on it, and nothing happened. But that's not uncommon for something not to start the very first time. And so I go at it a second time and a third time, and I'm on it the 40th time, and I'm on it the 60th time, and I am getting pretty aggravated. So I step into the house for a little break so I don't lose my salvation. And my wife, with the gift of discernment, looks upon me and knows that something possibly is not right. And she goes, everything, I'm fine, babe, I'm fine. And she goes, well, why don't you just take it back to the pond? No, I got it, I got it, I got it. So I go outside, and I give it with my left arm this time, because my right arm's out of socket. And so, and so I go at it the first time, and the second time, and now I'm on the 30th time, and nothing. And, I, and my arms are shaking, and, and I'm so aggravated. I get on my knees, and I'm just catching my breath, and I'm, I'm leaning on this snowblower. I'm like, God, please, this has to work. And there's no way, there is no way that a pawn shop would be dishonest with me. <laughs> These God-fearing, holy, separate, pure individuals would not take advantage of me. And I'm like, God, I don't have money to burn. I don't have money to waste. And please bless this, this snowblower. It has to work. And I open my eyes. I look. And I see a little red switch. It's got a picture of a gas can on it. And it's connected to a hose underneath the gas tank. And I turn it. I make that little adjustment. I get up and, with my little T-Rex arms. And they're atrophied. And I, I get that little... That little pulley, and I barely pull on it, and brrr, it's working fine. There was nothing wrong with the snowblower. I just had to make 
some adjustment. I'm talking how to never fall. Some of you struggling, why do I keep falling with the same thing? When I'm in the truth, I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. I believe the word of God. I've been baptized in Jesus. I want you to know there's nothing wrong with God's word. There's nothing wrong with the Holy Ghost. I'm here to tell you today, you just got to make a small adjustment in your world. And if you would make those little adjustments, you would operate at the capacity as which you were intended to. How many here are ready to make an adjustment tonight? Can we lift our hands and say, God, speak to my heart. I've got to make that adjustment because I don't want to fall. Again, let's clap our hands to the Lord. It's 740. We okay? I'm going to be conscious of time because I know you all are waiting in the hyphen group to go to Denny's. I'm going to give you four things here. Four things that are that are uh, non-negotiable. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to take notes so you don't forget. I know you're going to maybe hopefully enjoy the moment, take it in, but you can't forget these things. And I'm a, I'm a big proponent for people bringing notebooks to church and penning things, writing things. Now, you ever want to make your pastor, your student pastor feel good, take notes, and they feel like they're saying something to you that you like. But don't tell them you're passing notes. But anyways, I'm going to give you four, four non-negotiables. These are essential. Okay? We're good? Everyone say number one. Now, I'm going to hurry as fast as I can through the first three because I want to focus on the fourth one. I'd like to spend more time on these first three. I absolutely would love to, but I, I don't have time. And I know you're going to say, oh, take your time, but I know you don't really mean that. So I'm not going to do it. Okay? So the four non-negotiables. Number one, everyone say prayer. This is non-negotiable. This has to be in your life every day. Turn to your and say every day. Every single day, you need to have prayer, communication with Jesus Christ. In the book of um, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, And in the morning, a great while before the day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Who's that talking about? Jesus. The first priority he had in his day was to start off by himself with the Lord in prayer. And I, you, we hear that Jesus prayed for our example. I do believe that, but I believe more than that. I believe he prayed because he had to. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, and we read verses 15 and 16 on down, it says, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity, but was tempted in all points like as we are, but without sin. We know in the book of Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, Jesus was driven by the Spirit to go out in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil jesus was fully god and fully men flesh even sinless flesh it presents resistance and if sinless flesh has an obstacle how much does our sinful flesh have we got to put our flesh in check that's why jesus in the garden in matthew chapter 26 verse 40 and 41 he turns to the disciples finds them asleep he says what could you not watch and pray with me for one hour the Greek word for one hour is 60 minutes. I know that's, prof that's deep stuff. I understand that. So it's, it's going to take a while for it to register inside of you. 60 minutes is one hour in Greek. Time hasn't changed. And Jesus is like, you know, I, I, he was actually disappointed. Couldn't you hang with me just a little longer, boys? 
And he told him, he says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Is that what we're struggling with, teens? Are we struggling with temptation? Are we, we're talking about how to never fall. And Jesus says, look, watch and pray so you don't enter into temptation. I know your spirit is willing, but your flesh, it's so, so weak. We need to have prayer every single day. Now, how many here want to change the world and have a revival? See your youth group go, right? Okay. Here we go. We ready? How many here pray? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Hands down. How many here pray every day? Raise your hand. Okay, good. A few hands went down, but every day we still have a good number. How many here pray an hour every day? Raise your hand. Not so many hands. I think there was two, and I think they were above the age of being a teenager, but there's a couple. How many here pray every day 45 minutes? Okay, one, two. Everyone look around. Don't be afraid. How many pray every day 30 minutes? I'm talking to students. I know some of you elders and adults, you're, you're praying five hours, so we're not, we're not going to shame our youth. But how many young people pray 30 minutes every day? Raise your hand. Everyone look around. Look around. We got five hands up. How many pray 20 minutes every day? Got two more hands. So, so far, we're about at 15 hands that I've observed. Maybe there's more, but about 15 hands that are praying 20 minutes to 30 minutes. How many of you pray 10 minutes every day? And we wonder why we're struggling. I, I don't want to fall again. But we're not even praying. I've surveyed th- th- uh, 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 a good chunk of people. And, and I'm talking in our movement. And 90% of people are praying less than 10 minutes a day, every day. The average person in, in, in all religion, whatever, is praying 15 minutes a week total. And we think that we're going to go change the world. I know this is so boring, and I know I could just say, oh, revival! Oh, God! We could do that. I understand. But you're wondering why I'm not seeing miracles, signs. or You're wondering why you're still struggling with the same temptation. I'm here to let you know we cannot defeat our flesh without prayer. We can't do it. It's impossible. And you can say, well, it's, it's not the quantity of time. It's the quality. Yeah, tell that to my wife. Babe, I only want to talk to you once a week for about five minutes, but it's quality time. See, consequently, that which you find quality, you'll give a quantity of time to. That which you have high value and passion for. See, our problem, don't give me your ADD. I'm not saying I don't believe in ADD. What I'm saying, if you have ADD and you can watch a two-hour movie or be on the internet for three hours a day, your problem is not attention. Your problem is appetite. That which you have an appetite for, you will give attention to. I'm I'm trying to help someone. You don't want to fall again, but you got to fall on your knees in prayer and say, God, I know my spirit is willing, but my flesh is weak. I've got to mortify the deeds of my members. I've got to be crucified with Christ. We okay? I know this is not what you're expecting on a Saturday night rally. Okay, but I, I, I'm just, I'm, I feel something heavy on my heart. 
But hear me, this very, I, I don't want to see you fall. But there's just some practical things you have to have in your life. And I want to keep talking about prayer, but I'm not, I got to move on.com. But let me say this about prayer. You will not become a prayer warrior on accident. It will be intentional. It will be on purpose. And here's how you start. You start tonight by saying, tomorrow, I'm going to pray at 7 a.m., at 8 a.m., whatever time it is. Here's my challenge. You wake up one hour earlier than what you usually do. And say, that slot of time is my time to pray, my time as unto the Lord. And when you do it, when you wake up, the first thing to do is not check your phone, not check social media, not check your texting, because the very first thing you set before your eyes and ears, that is the filter as to which everything cascades through. And if the first thing you see is drama from your mama or something on Facebook, you're already starting off on a bad foot. Start off your day in prayer as unto the Lord. Find yourself secluded away from everything else do not bring your phone in the same room do not bring your laptop in the same room do not bring any device in the same room that is your sacred slot only for jesus christ and i'm you're looking at someone that struggled with prayer but you got to start somewhere and it might be five minutes then 10 minutes then 15 then 20 and as you will grow in your really i want to keep talking about prayer but i'll stop there number two everyone say number two bible everyone say bible this is non-negotiable. You have to read your Bible every day. Every single day you need to be reading your Bible. We like Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. God only feeds those that are hungry. But he says in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Or literally, the Bible is your soul food. It is your sustenance. How many of you have accidentally went three days without eating? Anybody? Accidentally. Okay. One. If you fry short of a Happy Meal, we'll pray for you. But how often do we go seven days without eating food? On accident. I'm not talking about fasting. I'm talking about on accident. See, we know how to take care of the natural man because you know that you and I would not survive. It's impossible to continue our life without feeding our flesh because we need nutrition. We need carbohydrates. We need calories. We need energy. We need sustenance. That's how our flesh continues. How is your spirit going to continue without feeding it? And when you feed yourself the word of God, you now are feeding your faith. You're starving your flesh. You're getting driven to the things of God. The Bible is there to feed you, to help you, to give you sustenance. Everyone say the Bible. Non-negotiable. If you have no idea how to read your Bible, where to start, I'll give you an acronym, and then we'll move on to the third one so we can get to the fourth one, and I'll shut up, and you all hate me. So uh, here's MAP. If you have no idea how to read your Bible, just remember MAP. Matthew, Acts, Proverbs. They each have uh, 31 chapters or less in them. If you read them with the day corresponding that you are in. So if it's it's January 1st, read Matthew 1, Acts 1, Proverbs 1. And basically, Matthew is the words of God. Acts is the church of God. Proverbs is the wisdom of God. You will glean a lot from reading those three books through the year with the day corresponding. And I'm telling you, tell me it won't change you. Tell me it won't help you tell me it won't breed faith inside of you we need to feed ourselves with the word of god someone say amen Amen. what was number one what was number two number three number three here we go number three is church everyone say church this is non-negotiable 
This is absolutely, positively essential. You have to be in church. You know, we know uh, Hebrews 10, 25, forsake not the assembly yourselves together as a man or some is, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Jesus Christ is coming back. We need to be in the house of God, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Now, I know you're like, you're like, but dude, bro, like the church is not a building, man. We are the body, dude. So you go ahead and kumbaya in your living room with your socks off and your guitar. Okay, you do your thing. Usually people that don't want to be in the house of God with that kind of attitude, they have one of two problems. They either have a problem with authority or they want to be the one in authority. But look, you get, wow, the church is full of hypocrites. Look, I don't need a church because it's perfect. I need a church because I'm not. I'm not perfect. I need accountability. When I'm struggling with the temptation, I like finding myself in the house of God and discovering they used to struggle with temptation and their parents went through a divorce and my parents are going through it now. And if they could come out of it, I can come out of it. She used to be addicted to alcohol. I'm struggling with alcohol. How'd you do it, sister? I'm smoking weed right now and they came out of marijuana. How can, that's why we need to be in the house of God. It's not full of hypocrites and heathens. It's People with the story that God's transformed and changed. Now, I, I personally believe the church is a physical location. By the way, it's not confined to it, but I believe it's found in it. I'll give you one, one, one verse for you to consider. We like 1 Timothy 3, 16, great is the mystery of God, and it's God manifest in the flesh, right? We like that oneness revelation, Jesus is God in the flesh. Where's that revelation found? Verse 15, the prior verse. says, you ought to know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. He uses two different words to say there is a house of God, and that meeting place, that congregating place, is what I call the church of the living God. And that's where we find the preached word of God. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. And how can we hear without a preacher? And we need a preacher set in a location that we gather together, that we have on schedule, and we are ministered to, and get the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. I know that's not exciting. Okay. Let me give you one story, and I'll get to the fourth one because you're already aggravated. There, and maybe you've heard this story. Have anyone ever heard of Jimmy John's? Anyone like Jimmy John's? Okay, so I, I have a friend who is a sandwich maker, no college education, and, and just entry-level job being the, the sandwich maker. And so he told his boss, he goes, look, I, I, don't miss, I don't miss church on Sundays. That's my deal. I don't miss it. This is a minimum wage job. I can find another one if you're going to make me miss church on Sundays. I don't know if you know that, but anyway. So he, he has that precedent in his life. And uh, uh, so, so the manager's like, that's cool, totally cool. But one day the manager, store manager says, no, look, I need you to work this Sunday. He says, well, I told you I can't work Sunday. Church is my thing. And he says, well, if you don't show up Sunday, you're fired. And so he works Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, through, all, uh, through the week, like a normal schedule without having a chip on his shoulder. And he ends up on that Saturday, he t he's working, and the boss says, I need you here tomorrow. He goes, well, I can't. He goes, well, this is going to be your last day. And he says, it's up to you if you want to show up tomorrow. So he's working his job. Then the district manager walks in, and for whatever reason, he has a conversation with the store manager, fires the store manager, turns to the sandwich boy and says, you're the store manager. 
And so this store manager now that he's been promoted still holds the same conviction, I don't miss church. Long story short, in a short amount of time, he becomes the district manager. Not too long after that, he becomes the regional manager. Not too long after that, he becomes corporate office. He is now the number two man of all of Jimmy John's. He's apostolic, united Pentecostal. Jimmy John's. He only answers to Jimmy. I, I think the Bible says something like this in Matthew 6, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Young person, student, put the house of God first. And I'm telling you, God will put you on his priority list. All right, it's 7.56. We'll go to number four here. So that means I've been going about 30 or 40 minutes. I'm not exactly sure, but do you got a moment? Are we, are we being honest? Are we being honest? Are we okay? Burr Kelly, I know you're honest. Okay, okay. He had to think about it. All right, let's go to Romans 13. Romans 13. Well, this is number four. This is where I want to spend at least 20 minutes on, and I'll, I'll be done. I'll be done. I promise. You Okay. Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision. Or literally don't feed your flesh, your carnal nature, to fulfill the lust thereof. Talking about how to never fall. Here's number four. I'm going to say number four. What was number one? Number two? Number three? Number four. I'm going to say diet. Turn to neighbor and say, you need to go on diet. Turn to me and say, no, for real. Now, I'm not talking about physical diet, so you keep the Krispy Kreme thing going on, that's fine. I'm talking about your spiritual diet, your intake. See, you and I, were kind of like cows. We have multiple stomachs. Your, your stomach, the two stomachs that you have is your mind and your heart. And you have two mouths that you feed that fill those two stomachs, your mind and your heart. You, you all ever notice the progression of a convention or a camp? You know, Monday's like pulling teeth. Friday is like everybody just going nuts. Like, you know, like on Monday or Tuesday, it starts, you sit there and you're, you're sitting next to your neighbor and they're like twitching, foaming at the mouth. You know Why? Their diet's being changed. So I worked at a, um, I was a fifth step pastor at a detox center. And uh, basically I was like the confessional booth in the fifth step. But I turned it into a repentance booth. But they would dump, you know, just all, everything. They just lay it all out there. And it, the, the process was the same every time. You know, people that were heavy into alcohol, meth, and, and cocaine, and the whole nine yards, they come into this facility. And it was usually mandated by the court. And uh, very few people would actually check themselves in. And it was on a, a reservation for Native Americans and uh, just terrible substance abuse in those areas. And it's just a real deal. And anyways, they would come. And for the first time, they're unplugging from that constant feeding of their flesh with drugs. 
And so like you're getting 40 hours a week of carnality, you're, getting 40, you're putting in 40 hours a week of wrath and 40 hours of deception, 40 hours of fornication, whatever it is. And then you come to camp and all of a sudden you're losing your Wi-Fi connection and you're not able to sit there and watch all your movies and you're, you're not able to sit there and, and drink your, your alcohol unless someone has smuggled some in and we know that kind of stuff sometimes happens. But you know what I'm saying? It's just like, it's like people are just, they're in a, they're in cold turkey mode. They're in a shocked environment. They're in a completely different atmosphere. It's like a detox center. Now, our, our, our generation is unlike any generation before. We are constantly feeding our flesh in a way unlike ever before. And I'm talking about media intake. Constantly, nonstop. There's never been a generation like our generation. I'm still a millennial. I'm in the older end of the spectrum of a millennial. But, you know, we have those that are the new generation and some millennials in this place. But we are unlike any generation that constantly getting fed and pumped. And our diet is coming from a driven force called the world. Constantly. Their agendas and, and, and their ideologies and their theologies and their isms and all of that kind of constantly getting pumped in us. The average person in this room is on media three to five hours a day. The average person in this room, five, every five minutes you're reaching for your phone. Every five minutes. And we wonder why a church service is so difficult. Because six days out of the week, you've constantly fed yourself three to five hours a day for a total of 18 plus hours of an agenda that is not from the church. And then you show up to church, you think you could flip a switch and you could tap into the presence of God. But that's not how it works. And you wonder why you don't have a tough, you have, you have some of the greatest preachers on all of Pentecost right here in the state of Illinois. And you can't even focus on what Pastor Gene is saying and what your Bishop Coltharp is saying. You can't even focus on what your youth president is saying or your sectional leader is saying. And you just, you have to check your Facebook and you have to, you have to Instagram the event that's going on. And you don't even know you're unplugging from the present moment that you're supposed to be taking in. We, we, all right. I'm going to get in trouble. I, I promise, I, I, I pray, you know, you know we, we, all, we, we all say we want truth. You know, John 8, 32, ye shall know the truth is truth shall make you free. But Jesus went on to say in verse 45, he says, because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. The Apostle Paul, Galatians 4, 16 says, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I'm going to present just a hard truth to you right now. Not to be a jerk. I pray, you know, Ephesians 4.15, you know, to speak the truth in love. And I pray what Jesus said in Matthew 10.16, to be wise as a serpent, harmless as a... I'm going to be very careful right now. But I'm also going to be very truthful to you right now. You are in a diet unlike any other generation before. And you wonder, why do I keep falling? Some of us here, we're not praying or majority of us are not praying as we ought to be praying. Every hand went up says, I pray, but barely any hands went up that pray more than 10 minutes a day. We're not reading our Bibles. We get sketchy on church, but this fourth one is the one we're losing the battle to because you're constant. How can the church compete with something that you're giving 40 hours a week to every week? And you want a one-hour Sunday. You want a two-hour Sunday. And I'm all about having just good church and compacting in a small amount of time as possible to be effective, efficient, and meet the needs of our culture. But we are in a losing battle. You have two stomachs, your mind and your heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence. Someone say my heart. 
Because this thing right here come all the issues of life. Everything right here. And you got to be careful with that thing called the heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 26, he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. Well, I just feel he's the one. You cray. Your heart is fecal. It fluctuates. It's up and down and all around. That's why Jeremiah said in 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things. It is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Proverbs 23.7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's your first stomach, okay, your heart. But also Proverbs 23.7 says, as you think in your heart, so are you. Proverbs 23.7 is basically trying to help us take inventory of your thought. You want to know who you really are? Take inventory of your thoughts. What is the main reoccurring thought you have every day? What's the first thought on your mind when you wake up in the morning? What's the last thing on your mind when you go to bed? What's the thing that keeps popping through your mind throughout the day? You can fool me, you can fool pastor, but you can't fool God. And you got to be honest with yourself. And the Bible goes on to say in Romans chapter 8, I'm not going to read all verses 1 through 8, but basically to be carnally minded is death, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. But it says that they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, verse 5. And they that are after the spirit, they mind the things of the spirit. And verse 8 says, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. We okay? I want us to pray. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to come to a close as fast as I can, but I want us to lift our hands for just a moment. And can we ask God to speak to us? Some of you, I know you're having a tough time listening, and I apologize if you thought this wasn't going to be a teaching night, but let's pray. Jesus, I pray you give us just a moment. I pray you arrest our attention, God. I'm, I'm not going to be long-winded, Lord. I pray, God, help me to be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. I pray to you speak to some young person in this room, and I pray you can help them. In the name of Jesus, someone say in Jesus' name. Okay, here's how you know if you're in the flesh or in spirit. You've got to take inventory, okay? Your mind, your heart, or your two stomachs. Here's your two mouths that you, uh, you feed them with, your eyes and your ears. Anything in your mind, anything in your heart, you've allowed it there through your eyes or through your ears. And our words absolutely matter. For the sake of time, I'd like to spend time, but, you know, you could write down Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 through 37. He, he basically says, whoa, whoa, you guys, how, how you doing this? Because you're, you're trying to pretend to be holy, but you're evil, and from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. He goes on to say, and he says, you know, you're going to give an account for every word that you speak. For by your words you will be justified, by your words you will be condemned. That's why I believe what we say over baptism absolutely matters. The name of Jesus justifies a soul in water baptism with faith and repentance. Somebody say amen. Words do matter. That's why we don't baptize in the name of Troy or Obama or Trump or any. We baptize in Jesus' name. If it doesn't matter, then say whatever you want. But there's a reason why we got to be adamant about the name. And then he goes on in Matthew chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. You could jot that down. He says, the words that proceed out of your mouth, they come forth from the heart and they defile the man. Words absolutely do matter. If, they don't, if words don't matter, let me talk about your mama. Words do matter. Words do break some bones. Here's, a, here's a, James 1.26. Any man among you seem to be religious? And you bridle not your tongue? Your religion is vain. New Testament. Our words matter. And so if our words matter, it also means their words matter. What you say matters. But what they're saying matters. So when you put your headphones and your earbuds on... And they're speaking death 
or life, sensuality, lust, sex, perversion, violence, usurping authority. Am am I getting up? uh, If your words matter, their words matter. I'm talking about how to never fall. And you wonder why you keep struggling sexually. You, you just can't. Your first thought in your mind is what girl to make out with. The first thought on your mind today, what boy can I connect with? What person can I hook up with? Where can I get my source of marijuana? The first thought going and the last thought going and throughout the day. I ask you, what kind of music are you listening to? How did you ever get that in your mind? You had to have heard about marijuana. You had to see it. Something had to go in your ears or through your eyes to expose you to that world. Something, you're an angry person, I would ask you what kind of video games are you playing. I would ask you what kind of music are you, is it angry, heavy, driven, anti-authority? And you wonder, you're supposed to be apostolic, but you're in your public high school and you have outbursts against your teacher and you get kicked out of class. Man, I know this, I just ruined Saturday night. But I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not here to be a jerk. I'm also not here to impress you. I'm here to help somebody with some truth. Why? You keep falling over and over again. But I want to talk about the bigger one. Music is a huge deal. But here's the one that we're really up against right now. Though music is probably almost equal with it. But I want to focus on the eyes. Someone say my eyes. We know Matthew 5, 27 through 30. Jesus says, look, you all know. If you physically get in bed with somebody outside of marriage, it is a sin. If you do not know that, I'm just letting you know, the Bible says sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage is against God's will. It is sin. I know that's against society, but that's, that's the God honest truth. Okay? And so Jesus says, now you know the physical act's wrong, but I tell you, let me take it a step further. He says, if you look on a woman, woman, verse 28, to lust after her, you have committed adultery with her already in your heart. Your heart. And he takes it a step further. He says, look, if your eye offends you, pluck it out, cast it from you. It's better for you to be missing an eye and earn to heaven than have your whole body in full health and go to hell. And he says, it's better for you to cut off your right hand and go to heaven without the hand and be missing a member than all your members in perfect health and still found in hell. Basically, it's better for you to look like a pirate in heaven with a patch and a hook than for you to be in good health in hell. Is that what Jesus said? And so I'm coming up against a lie right now that our world and people are telling us that what you watch doesn't matter. Jesus equated vision with eternity. He goes on in the next chapter. Check it for yourself. Write it down. Matthew chapter 6 when you read verse 21, 22, and 23. He says the light of the body is the eye. Or the portal, the gateway to your soul comes through your eye. And he says if your eye is single or pure, your whole body shall be full of light. But if your eye be evil, your body is full of darkness. And then he takes it a step further. He says if the light that be in thee is dark, how great is that darkness? Or in modern day vernacular, here's what he's telling you. He says if you think what goes through your eye does not impact your soul, you are greatly deceived. And so when we, now we are in the most media 
driven world and every single person in this room if you're honest with yourself you know that we constantly set our eyes before media we constantly are tapping into youtube we're constantly watching facebook live we're constantly streaming from netflix or whatever your source of media is but constantly pumping it inside of us and you wonder why you struggle with some things i ask you what are you setting before your eyes are you ever considering that what you're watching possibly could be impacting or influencing your decisions or increasing your sensual desires or your base nature, your sinful flesh? We're gonna, I'm going to make a couple points and I'm done. Can we lift our hands? I need, I need God to help me in the next few moments. Come on, lift our hands. We're, we're, we're just about done, I promise you. I know you're, you're ready to go, but let's pray. Jesus, help me. I know I've been long-winded, God, but I pray this closing moment, God, would be an impactful moment, a helpful moment for someone. I pray it make the world a difference in someone's soul. Somebody say in Jesus' name. Let me give you a couple of verses I'd like you to write down. A, a famous one right now is pro, uh, Job 31 and 1. I've made a covenant with mine eyes. I made an agreement with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Job, Old Testament, before there's even a law. He says, I've already established something about my eyes where, where they're going to allow to go because I know something about them. Here's two more verses that are very important. This, if, you don't, if you haven't wrote anything down, write these two down. Lamentations 351. Here's what he says. My eye affects my heart. Someone say, my eye affects my heart. And then here's what it says going back to Job 31, verse 7. My heart walks after my eye. That is the cycle. My eye affects my heart. Job 31, 7, my heart walks after my eye. There's many examples in your Bible. Because if you think what you see doesn't impact you, let's, let's, let's ask King David why he's watching his plasma screen TV. Sitting there watching the big screen and behold a woman bathing. Boy, he never even thought about Bathsheba. He never even thought about lying and murdering and having adultery and having an illegitimate child. But that day, his eye affected his heart. And his heart went after his eye. I'm going to share something with you, and I don't like sharing it. And my parents, they, they, they got out of the world. My mom, uh, was, she was in a gang. She went to prison for attempted manslaughter. Uh, my parents were addicted to cocaine, whole nine yards, and on the verge of a divorce, didn't know anything about church. They come into a Pentecostal church, and, and God fills my mom with the Holy Ghost, life-changing. They go home, they get all the cocaine, all the drugs, all the alcohol, dump it down. No one told them to do that. God radically transformed that day. Now, they're trying to change and raise our family a certain way, and, and you know, of course, kids kind of like to do things what they want to do. And so we thought our parents were keeping, back, keeping us back from good life. And so my sister, she does her own thing, and she she... She, she has um, a child outside of wedlock. She leaves the house at 16 and gets married. Now, I, I like going to my sister's house because she had this, this unique thing. I, I don't know. I, it, it, was, it was circular, and it was on top of, of her roof, and miraculously it would suck in air molecules and transpose them down into this, this square device, and I could watch anything I wanted. It was amazing. And so I was in middle school. I like going to my sister's house. 
And I remember I, I stayed up late one night and I was watching, I can't remember if it was HBO or Showtime. But I was sitting there. And I was watching a PG-13 movie. I'm not going to tell you what it was. But I saw my first pornographic image in middle school. I was dialed in. And the next show came on as the night progressed. And it wasn't PG-13. It was R. Got a little more intense. The night progressed. And the next show on was not rated R. It was just not rated at all. If I had the wherewithal and the know-how to invent a time machine and go back to one moment in my life, it'd be that moment. My world was forever impacted in the trajectory of the next 10 years of my life. I never saw girls in that way. I never thought of them in that way. But that day, my eye affected my heart. And my heart went after my eye. I didn't treat girls with respect. It was just an object, a desire to fulfill and move on. I'm talking to some people in this room that statistically... 90% of you in this room have been exposed to pornography. I used to not believe it until I started surveying and asking people. 90%, I'm talking about apostolics. I was at a convention, 1,000 students, all 1,000 exposed to pornography. I won't say what district, but it was just the case. And how many here have a smartphone or a device that has access to internet? Raise your hand. Like all of you. How many of you have a filter on your device? Raise your hand. Look, at, look around. Everyone look around. Every hand went up, but now we only got about five hands up that have any filter or accountability on that device. I'm talking about how to never fall. And you wonder why you're falling. I want, I want you to know I come against a lie that pornography has no impact on your soul. It is natural, that it's normal, that is just what guys and girls do. That is a lie from hell. That is not natural. That is not normal. And it will impact the course of your eternity. And I will say this. 90% of you, I, I, I'm convinced, have been exposed to it. And the statistic is it was unintentional. Most people that saw their first pornographic image, that was not your intention. You accidentally were exposed to it. But it is a web and you do get caught in it. And I'm telling you right now that the devil would like you to think that it's normal, there's no consequence, or if you do feel guilty about it, that you can never get out of it. But the devil is a liar, and he is the father of it. See, your eye does affect your heart. Your heart will walk after your eye. And this can be applied in all areas. Some of you awesome, godly, pure ladies, I want you to know there's, you've never even considered some things. But one day you're walking in Walmart, you're checking out, and you look over and you see 17, you see Cosmopolitan, and you look at it again. And you just for a moment take a glance at it. 
And you look at that image versus your image and it, that your eye has affected your heart. And now your heart is yearning to walk after your eye. You never thought about changing the way you wear your clothes. You never thought about cutting or snipping or painting or doing any of those things. But something went through your eye and something entered into your heart. Now there's the inferiority complex. Now comes the low self-esteem. Now comes the pressure. Now comes you're all uncomfortable about yourself. And then you walk and you're in your own apostolic church and your ears hear your boy youth group saying Kim Kardashian's hot. Guys, you ain't not to be talking about how hot the girls of this world are and the things that they portray. I'm telling you, there are ears that are taking in what you are saying and it is entering into their heart and there is a battle in their heart going on to be conformed to this world. But God is calling us tonight not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, our heart. <laughs> Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Ramata Ramasa, Roya Teremese, Roya Teremese. I say a couple last things, I'm done. But hear me, if you're here, and it's not just a guy thing, it's a girl thing now that is into pornography. It is, it is mind-blowing. Anytime we've talked about this topic, the amount of girls that have approached their student pastors or myself and said, I'm struggling with this. We are in a generation unlike any generation before. And the Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 20, hell and destruction are never full. So are the eyes of man never satisfied. Hear me, you first see a girl in a bikini, young man. You listen to me, you're on YouTube you see some immodest image, it impacts your heart. And you continue to pursue after that. Then it becomes soft porn. But there's a point after that gratification, it's not enough. So you progress and now you are into hard porn. And it doesn't stop there because eyes are never satisfied. And you go down deeper and darker. And I promise you this, I don't speak some sort of just thought and idea. I'm telling you from experience, you will never be satisfied. You'll find yourself one day so ashamed shamed and so embarrassed you'll come to the house of God and the Bible says to lift up hands without wrath and doubting but you're full of anger and there's doubt and fear in you and so you find it difficult to lift your hands in church though you look around you see people doing it but there's shame and guilt but tonight God's gonna break those chains you're gonna lift up holy hands without wrath without doubting for he who the son has set free is free indeed If I was to take a pulse of where we are at prophetically, we are in the days of Peter spoke of in 2 Peter 2.14. We have eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. That's where we're at. And I'm looking in a room right now, I see conviction on faces, and I see somberness on faces and soberness right now. I'm striking a chord. I know some of you are aggravated, some of you want to get out of here, but there's some, there is a lad here, 
And tonight is the night where you make some adjustments and you operate as you are intended to. It is the will of God for you to prevail, for you to overcome. God called you to have dominion over the earth, not the world dominating you. Tonight, we take dominion in the name of Jesus Christ. Tonight, we make the adjustments. Tonight, we begin a life of prayer. Tonight, we begin a life of the word. Tonight, church is a priority. Tonight, I change my diet. Uh, let's stand together. I could keep rambling and talking, but I, 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 I know time. Time. In this room right now, there is a lad here that can change the world, but I'm telling you, this world's already changed you. You got you to address this issue. You think you're not addicted. You think I'm not talking to you, but I am talking to you. If you don't think, here's your challenge if you think I'm not talking to you. Go one month without any media whatsoever and see how you fare. Try it. Do not log into Facebook for one month. Do not log into Instagram for one month. Do not log into Twitter for one month. Do not log into Snapchat or whatever venue if I did not mention yours, just it's applicable to yours. Do not surf YouTube. Do not watch Facebook Live. Do not tap into your Netflix account. Do not watch one movie. For one month, can you do it or does that just make you uncomfortable right now? Is it perhaps you're more addicted than you thought? Because everybody's got an addiction. But not us. Not me. I guarantee you, you'd struggle to go seven days without it. And right now, you've already made up your mind, I ain't doing that. I, I remember, let me share one last story. Be Okay. I was 18 when I decided to live for God. And I was just going to, you know, be faithful there in Harvey, Illinois. Pastor Terry Cox just be a good saint, get married maybe one day when I'm 50. You know, just work. But God messed with my head and he told me to go to IBC, which I thought was pretty dumb. I didn't, why, why on earth would I go? I have no ambition, no aspiration to do that. And so um, I, uh, I go. And they have a bunch of rules and restrictions and guidelines and I made up my mind, if I'm going to go there, I'm going to go there. I'm, I'm going to listen to what they asked me to do. And one of the things on there was no, no movies, no theaters. And I thought that was weird. I was working at Blockbuster Video. You all don't know what that is. It's Brokebuster now. I had free movies nonstop before they even came out so I could make recommendations. I was the best salesman. I pumped myself full of everything that was on the wall. I was convinced, you know, it doesn't matter what I watch because I'm not doing it. So anyways, I was like, you know, I'll respect that. And now I know there were students at IBC that were bootlegging and having movie parties and going to theaters, but I took it serious and I didn't. I wasn't a better than mentality. It was just, I'm just going to respect the, their wishes. So first time in my life, I unplugged in this detox center. And I went a couple months not watching one thing. And so Christmas break came, I went back home. You want to know what I wanted to do? I wanted to watch my absolute favorite movie of all time. I won't tell you what it is, but my favorite part 
was this guy had two swords and he scissors a head's dude, dude's head off and it falls on the ground, blood squirts out. It's my favorite man's movie part ever. And so I put it in, I watch. And I got my popcorn, Pastor Gene, I'm, I'm ready. And all of a sudden, sink, do, 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 squirt, squirt. And I felt like gross. I, I was like, honestly disgusted. I was like, what? And then I was puzzled. I'm like, well, that was weird. Never felt that way before. So I, I stopped watching. I go to my room and, and I, I start reading my Bible. Just I had nothing else to do. My friends were out of town. And, and so I'm reading. And I came across Romans 1, 29 through 32 for my first time. It gives a long list of like, you know, the things we shouldn't do. Like, you know, don't murder people. Don't be doing sorcery. Don't be doing, you know, all these things against nature. Things we know that are wrong. Adultery and, and fornication and murder and, and disobedience to parents. It gives a whole long list. Then the last verse, it says, Those that do that are worthy of death. But not only that do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And the Lord spoke to me and says, You're entertained by that which displeases me. And for the first time in my life, it dawned on me. The reason why it didn't bother me is because I've grown so calloused and so accustomed to carnality that it, it wouldn't do anything to me. But when I changed my diet, see, when I was in wrestling, the coaches gave us a diet to follow. And one of the biggest things that immediately they said to remove from our diet, if you want to have stamina and lose weight and also just be, you know, more uh, endurance, whatever, is to get rid of pop. And we stopped drinking pop. And I wasn't fat by any means or anything like that, but I lost weight, which was weird. And all of a sudden, like, I wouldn't, like, cramp up like I used to. And then, and then when wrestling season was over, I went back to get a, a drink of pop, and it tasted completely different than it ever tasted to me. And I just grow not to drink it. Not because I think I'm better, but I realized the difference. And you could see in the wrestling program who was more serious about their diet and how it impacted them in the moment that they were to perform there in the center of the arena. I'm talking to people here. Everybody's a part of this. But at what level do you want to perform? See, we, we elevate individuals like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, but I will say this, I'm not endorsing sports, but what I am saying is they operate at that level not merely on natural talent, but on self-discipline. You read and study about Kobe Bryant. When everyone went to the clubs and the parties, he didn't go. Not because he felt he was morally superior, he just had a goal in mind. I'm going to be the greatest. I am going to win championships. We are going to the next level. And I'm not saying you're going to hell in a handbasket because, you know, you don't cut off media from your world and, and all that stuff. What I'm saying is at what level do you want to operate? Because there is a lad here, and you want to change the world. But the Bible says the desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. Desire without diligence will not get you in your destiny. You have to be diligent to make your calling and election sure. See, here's what's going to happen. We're all agreeing with this, but when we leave here, a very, very small percentage of you are actually going to apply anything I've even said to you. I'm not a fool. 
And now, you could prove me wrong, and I hope you do. But there's only a few people in this room that are actually going to go one month without media. You know, I have, you want to put a picture of my family up there one more time? I love my family. Look, I might be a pastor, I might be a youth president, I might travel and preach here and there. But my device, my cell phone, my tablet, my laptop, I have a filter on there. My wife knows everywhere I go on the internet. You say, why, because you're a pervert? No, I just don't want to be one. Well, if I, if I get a, a, a filter, then it's going to slow down my internet connection. It can slow down your pursuit with God without it. I'd rather have a slower internet connection than a slower connection with God because I keep repenting over the same thing. And I'm still wrestling with flesh and blood when I should be wrestling against principalities, against powers, against the spirit. See, it's not the will of God for you to have repentance over the same thing every day. I'm not saying you're perfect the rest of your life. I'm talking about how to never fall. But I stand in front of you today. I'm 14 years sober. It doesn't mean I'm perfect in every area of my life, but 14 years I haven't cussed. In 14 years I haven't drank alcohol. In 14 years I haven't been to the club. I'm not celebrating my holiness. What I am trying to tell you is there's some things that you can do so you don't have to fall again. And my family right there, God forbid it be like Noah who didn't safeguard his vineyard and in the privacy of his own room, his son walked in on him and seen him in a failure. I couldn't imagine that my son one day find me in my room and he walks in and I'm exposed to pornography. You know how psychologically damaging that could be to my boy? Because I'm telling you, I've talked to youth that that's happened to. And now they're in the world of pornography. I, I, I know everyone else does their thing. And I'm not damning, condemning your media, whatever. I'm just saying my wife and I, before we ever got married, before we knew about manuals and jurisdiction and all that stuff, my wife and I had this, this prenuptial agreement. We will never have a TV in our home. Not one person told us that or preached against it. I just said, I know what it did to me. And I want to change my diet. I want to protect my marriage. I want to one day say I've been married for five years, for 10 years, now 12 years. And one day we'll have our 50th year anniversary because I want to protect that which I have. And so me and my wife, person, we just don't have Netflix. We don't, we don't go to the movies. That's just, I'm not saying you're dumb or bad for doing I'm just saying this is what we did in our life. And you know, my kids may be exposed to it out there, but in my house... This is the only thing I have control of this world is what happens in my home. As for me in my house. And I challenge you. I know you can't control what the school's doing. I know you can't control what your friends are doing. But you can control what you do in your house. And you're going to have to do the most difficult thing you've ever done. If you're here and you're struggling with pornography, let me tell you this. You will not overcome it by yourself. You won't do it. You won't do it. It's impossible. You're going to have to do the most difficult thing you've ever done in your life. And that is have accountability with your pastor, your student pastor. And you're going to have to say, and hear me, the devil wants you to think, well, if, I, if they do that, they'll kick me out of the church. They'll kick me out of the youth group. They won't let me anything. They'll hate me. I promise you, your pastor will take you in. 
and say, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to help you not to fall again. I should have I told you about this filter. I should have told you about accountability. I love you. You're sweet. You're awesome. I'm going to help you out right now. That's what your pastor will do. That's what your student pastor will do. And if you have no idea about accountability and filters, you need to get look into covenant eyes, net nanny. You can do, uh, oh, it's slipping my mind right now, and it's, it's making me mad. Mm. Forgive me for forgetting what it is. But you need to do that. Because over 90% of you are struggling with it, and over 90% of you don't even have a filter. You are entering into a world like a kamikaze mission, suicidal. Because you are one to two clicks away from an exposed image of pornography. And if you don't want to fall again. I'm talking to a group here, you're called to God. God's called you. But you gotta, you have to be diligent to make your calling election. I'm talking to people, you don't pray. But if you want to be used at the capacity of the vision God gave you, you need to start prayer now. I'm talking to people, you don't read your Bible, you can't quote verses, you can't even explain why you are the way you are, other than you're just mimicking what everyone else does in your church building. You need to get in the Bible, rightly divide the word of truth, and be ready to give an answer to everyone that asks you the reason, the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You're called to be a pastor, to be a church planner, but you'll put sports above church attendance. If you can't be a faithful in the little things, how do you think you're ever going to build a church when your example you're living right now is sketchy church attendance? I would, I would encourage everyone, as many young people to come forward as possible. We're going to pray. We're gonna pray. I, I, I want you to come forward as, as a group because I don't want anyone to feel singled out like you're the only one with a struggle. Please, as many students that are here right now, can you come forward? I've been preaching one hour, and I'm sorry about that. But there, there is a tangible presence of God right here, right now. I stand in front of you right now as living proof that you can come out of pornography. And I also stand in front of you letting you know that the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 11, verse 29, that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God called you and you feel this guilt like I can't serve God because I've messed up in pornography. I've messed up in this area, that area. But tonight, chains can be broken and God can still place you in your mission field. God can set you free. Now, I've been... I've been basically saying the negative part, I guess you would say, of... uh, the negative influence of the eyes and the ears. If you could play softer for just softer, maybe not at all for a moment. I've been saying all the negative impacts of your eyes and your ears. The same way it impacts you in a negative way is the same way it impacts you as a positive way. See, when all you set before your eyes are the heroes of this world... Your eye affects your heart. Now you want to be the next LeBron James. You want to be the next Kim Kardashian. You want to be the next Taylor Swift. But when you set your affection, as it says in Colossians 3, 2, on things above and not on things of the earth, and you set your eyes on a hero like Calvin Jean and his wife, and you set your eyes on Kyle Kelly, and you set your eyes upon Brother Berner and Brother Staley, and you set your eyes on Brother Coltharp, all of a sudden your eyes affect your heart. And you're saying, you know what? 
I want to be a preacher one day. You watch a, a mad tune choir, and all of a sudden your eye affects your heart. You say, man, I would like to have a youth group like that that has a choir. I'm telling you, that's why the Bible says faith comes by hearing. Instead of just hearing, listening to carnal music that makes you upset, you can listen to godly, edifying music. See... You can set your eyes on the things of this world, and all of a sudden you begin to see yourself after. You can read Cosmopolitan and see yourself as ugly and see yourself as wretched, or you can open the Bible and set before your eyes, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He who the Son is set free is free indeed. The enemy shall come in like a flood, but the Spirit of the Lord is going to lift up a standard. He who the Son is set free is free indeed. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. You can set the right thing before your eyes. You can set godly things before your eyes. Here's what we're going to do right now. I get as close as you can. There's still some people trying to come forward. Come closer. It's all right. You're not invading my space. I want as many to get in this altar right now. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And I don't want you to be ashamed or embarrassed to cry in this moment because this is a safe place. We're all people struggling. We're all going through something. There ain't a single person in this room that doesn't have one of those four areas you need to work on. So no one knows why you're crying, why you're praying. But you know, and God knows. And right now is the night you make that adjustment. And I promise you, you are going to launch. I promise you, you're going to see what you would like to see. And you will feel the effect. When you change your diet, you will feel the difference. You will see a noticeable difference and I pray right now if you can lift your hands by the power and the authority of the word of God Lord I pray in the name of Jesus right now God that you would open up the windows of heaven upon these young people tonight God we make up our mind I don't want to fall again that's it come on I don't want to fall again lift up your voice young person come on come on there is a lad here God's going to break you from pornography right now. God's going to break you from fornication right now. God's going to set you free from cussing right now. God's going to set you free from anger and wrath right now. You don't have to struggle with the same sin over and over again. Come on. In the name of Jesus, make up in your mind, I don't want to fall again. I don't want to fall again. Come on. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling.